Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. It's nice to be with you this evening. If I haven't met you before, my name's Luke. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Springwood and Winwillie. And we've uh, just heard this passage, which is really marks a transition point in John's Gospel today. The first 12 chapters of John are, really take place over three years and outline for us Jesus' public ministry out and about, speaking to the crowds, travelling around the region. But from here on in, it really zooms in on the last few days. So the next nine chapters all are focused on just a few days, really, leading up to Jesus' death and then a bit of time after his resurrection as well. And so John's doing something in these few, these 13, 14 verses here. And what he's doing is he's giving us a bit of a summary of the story so far. He's summarising Jesus' public ministry out and about amongst the crowds. And so we're invited to think back on all that we've seen and heard over the last six or seven months. We've seen water turning into wine. Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. 5,000 fed. The blind given sight and Lazarus raised from the dead. What an extraordinary public ministry. Wouldn't it have been amazing to walk around and follow Jesus and see all those things? And yet, John's summary of Jesus' public ministry is actually a pretty sobering one. After all that Jesus has said and done, John says of the crowds, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. That's the summary. All those miracles, all those words, all those stories and parables, and this is how it culminates with unbelief, with mere curiosity. So as we explore this passage today, we're really invited to ask the question, why did Jesus' public ministry, at least up until this point, turn out to be such a disappointment? Why didn't people believe and trust him? Why was the most common response to Jesus rejection, and unbelief. So as we come to explore this passage, let's, let's pray, uh, pray as we come together. Lord, Lord God, we do thank you for your word and that you promise to be at work through your word. We know that as we gather together, your spirit is with us, guiding us into truth, moving our hearts, softening our hearts, uh, spurring us into Uh, worship of our Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, may you uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to show us this evening. Amen. Have you ever set out on a task or on a journey knowing that it would end in failure? 
it happens for me pretty much any time I try to build something. I remember taking on an ambitious woodwork project at school. I just wanted to, draw, to make a set of drawers with a curved front, which I was told was quite a hard thing to do, but I was determined. I think it's still sitting half-finished in the storeroom at my old school. My life is littered with unfinished construction projects to the point where I just don't really bother anymore. If you want something to fall apart, ask me to pick up a hammer. And in this passage today, we find out that if the purpose of Jesus' public ministry was for all the crowds to fall down in worship and come to faith in God, then at this point, Jesus' public ministry looks like a bit of a miserable failure. The primary response to Jesus' words and signs and wonders was unbelief. And John wants to explain to us why is this so? Why does Jesus why did Jesus' public ministry finish in this kind of way? And he tells us, first of all, that this was actually always God's plan. Jesus was meant to be rejected. And he invites us to turn our Bibles back to the book of Isaiah to help us understand all of this. And he quotes from two places, from chapter 53 and then chapter 6. And when we turn to Isaiah 53, which is the first part quoted there, we find these words spoken about Jesus. These aren't the ones quoted, but they're just after the ones quoted, and we're meant to read it as a whole. And it says this about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus' public ministry was always meant to lead to the cross. The unbelief of the crowds and the religious leaders were a necessary part of God's saving plan. Without rejection, without the cross, there could be no salvation for anyone. So so the first answer that John gives us as to why Jesus was rejected is simply this. God planned it to be so. He sent his son not in pomp and grandeur, but as an unimpressive carpenter, one who would be despised and rejected. But then this passage gets a bit more confronting because John says to us, although this was God's plan, there's also another reason why Jesus was rejected And why people responded in unbelief. He asks us to look inside, to turn inwards and to look at our hearts. The unbelief of the crowds, John said, was also because their hearts were like rocks, hard and heavy. And what John's doing is giving us a spiritual diagnosis of unbelief here. He's saying... The reason that people are blind to the truth, the reason they choose darkness over light, 
The reason they merely love Jesus wonders but won't put their trust in him is because there's a heart problem. There's something going on deep inside us, in our hearts. And once again, John takes us back to Isaiah. Now, we need to understand a bit about Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who was given the task of speaking God's word to Israel over and over again. But from the very beginning of his ministry, we we heard before, God told Isaiah, your job is actually to harden the hearts of people. You're going to speak my truth to these people over and over and they're not going to listen. You're going to make their hearts like stone. John's saying to us by, by quoting this that just as Isaiah's message made people's hearts hard to the truth, so Jesus' words had made the crowd's hearts hard. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. They liked the miracles, the signs, the wonders, but his words were confronting. They were disrupting. They were, they were challenging. He wasn't physically impressive. He wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for. And then each time people heard Jesus speak truth and refused to listen, their hearts became a little more like stone a little harder, a little more resistant to truth, a little heavier. My, uh, my son Toby came home from school the other day and his hands were covered in, in blisters and broken skin from swinging on the monkey bars. He's been watching Ninja Warrior, so I think he was trying to jump for the furthest bar and took on a bit more than he, was, he bargained for. But, but we, we talked about how in the future those blisters would make the skin on his hand harder and tougher so they wouldn't feel so much. They'd become, they would become sort of leathier, le- leathery and insensitive. Now when it comes to, to monkey bars, calloused hands might be a good thing. But a leathery heart is never a good thing. Maybe you know people with leathery hearts. Maybe your heart feels a bit leathery at the moment. A leathery heart is tough. It's protected with a thick skin to numb the pain. It struggles to listen or empathise or or change. That's the kind of heart the crowds were developing as they heard and rejected Jesus' words. But in Isaiah, the, the literal translation is that the people couldn't hear because their hearts were fat and their ears were heavy. In English translations, we focus on the hardness, but the Hebrew is more focused on the weightiness of our hearts. Our hearts, Isaiah says, are heavy, immovable, stuck, apathetic. Think Homer Simpson lying on a couch, that that kind of image. That's the kind of image that's actually being painted there. Yet even though Jesus experiences relentless rejection, although the primary response to his word seems to be a, a heavying of hearts, we find out here that Jesus' words also soften and make lighter 
people's hearts. John writes in verse 42, Yet, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. Now, we're also told that their belief is a very timid belief. They're too scared to do much with it. They're more interested in their own glory and the praise of others than they are in God's glory. But there's a glimpse of hope here. Hearts that were once like immovable boulders are just beginning to shift and wobble. Hearts of stone are beginning to come more, more fleshy as people hear Jesus' words and believe. And I suspect that many of these people who were starting to believe here became some of the first believers on the day of Pentecost. Towards the end of these, these verses, in verses 47 to 50, Jesus speaks. And he says that he's come to speak a message of salvation, not a message of judgment. In other words, He's come to soften hearts, not to make them hard. He's come to draw people into the light, not push them into darkness. To speak words of eternal life, not words of condemnation. But he also says that these same saving words, these very words of salvation and hope, these same words of eternal life become words of judgment and condemnation for those who continually reject them. Jesus came to invite people to step into the light and to, to step into truth, but many chose to retreat into darkness. And John's telling us something, I think, quite profound in this passage. There's no neutral response to hearing God's Word. God's Word is always at work shaping and moulding our hearts. And so for the crowds, as they encountered Jesus, the, the Word become flesh, there could be no neutral response. God's Word would soften and make light their hearts, our hearts, but sometimes that same word will harden and make our hearts more entrenched and immovable. It re reminds me of the story in Exodus with Moses and Pharaoh. You know, Moses is sent by God to Egypt with a message of salvation. Let my people go. His words are a message of freedom, hope and promise for the people of Israel that they will be freed from captivity. Yet those exact same saving words prove to be words of judgment against Pharaoh as he digs his heels in and makes his heart immovable like stone. And as Pharaoh hardens his heart and rejects God's saving word over and over again, that very same word acts to further harden Pharaoh's heart until he brings judgment upon himself and Egypt. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, God's words described like this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. 
It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Scripture exposes our hearts. Jesus, the Word become flesh, and in our, our passage here, he's laying bare the hearts of the crowd before him, revealing what lies deep inside. The Word of God is double-edged. It's a word of salvation, and it's a word of judgment too, a word that draws people to bask in the light and causes some to retreat into darkness. This passage invites us to look at our own hearts. Today, as we hear God's word, are our hearts light and fluffy, ready to be blown about by the breath of God's spirit? Or are they heavy, immovable, resolute in our own apathy or unbelief? God's Word is doing something in you today. Every time we hear God's Word, we're encountering Jesus together through His Word and being invited to respond. Again, in Isaiah, God says, So is my Word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I think that's an incredible promise. God's Word is always at work. And so like the crowds, we encounter Jesus today as we get, gather together by His Spirit to hear His Word. We come before Jesus to hear Him speak to us. And we're urged to respond in belief, full-hearted belief, not just mere curiosity, not just an intellectual assent or nod to Jesus but full-hearted, fleshy, responsive belief where we place our bodies and dreams and hopes and desires over into his hands. We're not going to come away from every sermon or every reading of Scripture with a fire ignited underneath us. Heck, half the time I bore myself. But God is at work whenever we hear his word to draw us closer to Jesus in trust. Will we heed that call? Will we heed that call? Bob shared with us a, a little earlier that this passage, I think, also describes a little bit of what we see going on around us at this time. In our society, in a post-Christian world, that we're living in, There's a, there is a hardness of heart to God's Word. Just because people reject the message of Jesus doesn't mean God is not at work in our world through His Word. God's saving Word also harden, heart, hardens hearts of unbelief, and that's a pretty tough thing for us to grasp and wrestle with. But I know missionaries who have spent years and years teaching the gospel and their experience has been mostly what looks like failure. Perhaps you're frustrated and deeply saddened for friends and family who seem to have hearts that are so heavy and immovable, just won't budge, 
towards faith and belief. Well, it's some comfort to know that those experiences of rejection are shared by our Lord, whose own words were rejected. And it's further comfort to know, I think, that God's, God's word is working to soften hearts, often imperceptibly to our eyes. There may be cracks and softening taking place beyond our limited sight. Even these crowds who have responded to Jesus' ministry up to this point in unbelief, two months later, Jerusalem would be abuzz with people falling down in worship of Jesus. These same people responding in unbelief now, many of them would turn to Jesus in faith just a little while longer. We can't control the response of people's hearts to Jesus. We cannot know the future wonders that God might have in store. We can only speak truth as we walk alongside people in commitment and love, praying that God might open their eyes and soften their hearts. Perhaps this passage raises some discomfort for you. Maybe you're concerned that because sometimes you don't, you don't listen or respond in remarkable belief, that your heart is becoming heavier to God. I want you to listen to these words that Paul writes to the church of Philippi. He says that he is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The lightening and the softening of our hearts is a lifelong journey, and it's God's work. Our hearts will always have stony heavy bits, bits that are hard to move, bits that are stuck in stubborn rebellion. But God is chipping away at the stone. Those immovable bits are beginning to wobble and to to break off. What are the hard bits in your life? What are those hard bits that God is chipping away at? in your hearts? Is there anger from your past? Maybe you were betrayed. A partner left you. A friend rejected you. The church maybe abandoned you. Maybe there's a protective skin you've grown over that wound, a skin of resentment. Maybe God is inviting you to move towards forgiveness as his spirit brings healing to those wounds? Or is there an apathy about God and about faith for you right now? Life is just so full. The kids are hard work. Family relationships, are, there's tension there. You're struggling to see the difference that God makes in all of this. Maybe you're feeling a bit heavy and stuck and tired. Maybe God's inviting you to put aside a day of rest, to go for a walk out in the bush or to sit in the sunshine and find delight again in Him. 
You know, I find it very hard to write a sermon without quoting C.S. Lewis. So here comes the C.S. Lewis bit. But he describes all of this so beautifully in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where Aslan breathes life back into the stone statues of the White Witch's palace. So you might, you might like to just close your eyes as you listen to this beautiful description and imagine that this is what God is doing in you. For a second, after Aslan had breathed upon him, the stone lion looked just the same. But then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back and then it spread Then the colours seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a bit of paper. Then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and gave a prodigious yawn. Then, having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him and frisking round him, whimpering with delight and jumping up to lick his face. Of course, the children's eyes turned to follow the lion, but the sight they saw was so wonderful that they soon forgot about him. Everywhere, the statues were coming to life. The courtyard looked no longer like a museum, it looked more like a zoo. Instead of the deadly silence, the whole place rang with the sound of happy roarings, brayings, yelpings, barkings, squealings, cooings, neighings, stampings, Shouts, hurrahs, songs and laughter. What an image of what God is doing in us. This is what God is doing with our hearts of stone. By his breath, his spirit and his word, we like cold, immovable statues are made alive again to romp and whimper with delight, chasing after Jesus. Let's give thanks now that our God speaks, that his word is alive and working to lighten our immovable hearts. And let us pray that he would continue that work in us to completion, filling us with an ever-increasing delight in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, When we encounter you for the first time, we do so with heavy hearts. We all have heavy hearts as broken humans. And were it not for your grace, Lord, our hearts would become heavier and heavier until they cannot move anymore. But Lord, by your grace, you've poured your spirit out in us and softened those hearts, lightened them, And Lord, we pray that you would continue that work in us, lightening our hearts, allowing them to be moved by your spirit, that we might respond to you in trust. Not like the crowds here, but but the ones at Pentecost who heard your word and were astounded. Who put their lives into your hands. May we do the same, Lord. May you help us to so love your word that we might romp and whimper with delight, chasing after our Lord Jesus. Amen.